Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I did. Sick as a dog, but I still did. I don't know what this is. I've been tested for COVID. I've been tested for the flu. I've been tested for some RSV, RVS, whatever. Nothing. All negative. I have a theory that this COVID has really done damage to a lot of people's immune systems and perhaps the medicine and the science hasn't caught up with it yet. But whatever it is, man, I'm telling you, I'm still fighting it. But that said, there's a lot to deal with in the next three hours. And not all of it is the same. But I want to start with this. I want to issue a national, if not international, warning to our Israeli friends, to the people in Israel, to the leadership in Israel, to the Israelis that love their country and love their history. I am warning you right now that Joe Biden is betraying you. I'm warning you right now that Antony Blinken is betraying you. I am warning you right now that the American Democrat Party is betraying you. I am warning you right now that the American media are betraying you. And oddly enough, they have more negative, hostile things to say about the state of Israel and how they're trying to defend themselves than the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran. I am telling you now that Israeli leaders, I don't care what party, I don't care who they are, have got to stop praising Joe Biden. Not for political reasons here or there, but because they're only motivating him and his radical administration to continue to put pressure behind the scenes and now in front of the scenes on that country like no other country has to face. All of this is predictable. Just look at my tweets for the last month or listen to my broadcast for the last month. A four-day ceasefire is not going to be a five-day, six-day, seven-day, whatever it takes. Fuel is pouring into the Gaza Strip. Fuel. So much for climate change. Nonetheless, fuel is pouring in. All kinds of benefits. That's right, medicine and food are pouring into Gaza. Rather than Support the Israelis and say, do what you have to do and get this over with as quickly as you can. It's being dragged out. 
because Biden does not want Israel to win. Blinken does not want Israel to win. Blinken, while you were sitting at the table with your turkey and other family members on the left, Blinken was conducting his diplomacy. He was pressuring Arab states to pressure Israel for a two-state solution. He's pressuring European states, the EU, to pressure Israel for a two-state solution. While at the same time, they are crippling Israel's ability to destroy their enemy. It seems like October 7th was so far away, does it not? So far away. And now we have the photos of hostages being released, little kids, elderly people, family reunions, that is, families that weren't slaughtered. And of course it's heart-wrenching. And of course we're happy to see it. But this isn't Hamas, this is Iran. Iran behind the scenes, they know what to do with hostages. They had us on a hook for 444 days until Reagan got elected. They got Obama to pay them billions. They got Biden to pay them billions. The stupid media in America is asking Kirby and others, how come no Americans have been released but this four-year-old girl? The answer is simple. They're playing Biden and Blinken like a fiddle. Oh, they'll let an American out here and there, but their goal is to let the Americans out, if not last, near last. Why? Because they have Biden pressuring Israel to allow Hamas to rearm, to reposition their terrorists. And they're hoping enough time will die out where people like Cindy McCain will be speaking out about the famine that's developing in Gaza. Here's the problem. (coughs) Excuse me. Most people know very little about wars that America has actually won. We had heroes, great heroes who fought in Afghanistan. Great heroes who fought in Iraq. Great heroes, many who fought in Vietnam. Great heroes who fought in Korea. But in each one of those wars and others, the politicians pulled back. They didn't want a victory. Even in Vietnam, they went on forever with an enormous amount of deaths and casualties. Same with Korea. In the end, they didn't want an ultimate victory. We haven't had an ultimate victory, a sizable ultimate victory, really, if memory serves, since World War II. So most people today in America, certainly young people, are used to Wars that have no actual definitive outcome are wars that we actually lose. And they expect the same of the Israelis. 
And so they don't know the consequences of war. That wars have to be won. They have to be carried through to the end. Particularly when the enemy, the Muslim Brotherhood and all of its offspring, and the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran say they're not going to stop under any circumstances. And so they play the West, which has a completely different mentality. And they play Biden, who has no mentality. And they take hostages, which is a war crime. They murder babies, a war crime. They rape women, a war crime. They use butchery to destroy the bodies of individuals in order to defy their faith, a war crime. And so here and there, oh, we'll give them 10 hostages back, and we'll give them 10 here, and the cameras will be there, the West will be there, and, the, and we'll delay, delay this longer and longer and longer and longer. We'll get more and more fuel. We'll get the world to turn on the Israelis. Now the Israelis are the, uh, are the oppressors. Now the Israelis are the, the, uh, mil- the militaristic state. If it wasn't for Netanyahu, boy, we could get that him and his right-wing government out of there. Then we'd have peace in our time. And while we're at it, in the middle of the war, while we're at it in the middle of the war, we want this two-state solution. So they're blackmailing Israel. They're threatening Israel. We've sent our two carrier fleets over there. We've sent a nuclear sub over there. They haven't done a damn thing pretty much so far. Certainly the nuclear sub has no purpose. We don't even use them to defend our own soldiers. Not going to use them to defend Israelis. We don't even use them to defend Americans. But Joe Biden's showing strength, don't you know? And he's allowing the Israelis to continue to purchase weapons from us. I know of no president since the founding of the state of Israel, who has refused to provide Israel with weapons except Barack Obama for a period of time. Biden's not doing anything extraordinary. Biden publicly says he wants this ceasefire to go on longer. And so there you are. Three-card Monty right there. Three, four days. Five, six days. A week, two weeks, three weeks. Same with nukes. Iran will not get a nuke, says the United States. Iran will not get a nuke, says the UN. Iran will not get a a nuke, says the EU. Even says Israel. But Iran's getting a nuke right now as I speak. And what's anybody going to do about it? Does that make you nervous, America? When they have ICBMs that can reach our country and threaten us? Israel's being betrayed as America is being betrayed. Joe Biden has betrayed our own country. He will not secure the border. And the last thing I read over the weekend was they're going to blame Trump for an open border. And they'll have the media behind them. They'll have the billionaires behind them. Because they lie. That's all they know to do. They lie. They're not going to run on Biden's record. They're going to lie about his record. And 
and lie about Trump. And I'll get to that in a minute. Joe Scarborough and Claire McCaskill. They're not going to escape my, uh, my response to what they said last week. Absolutely sickening about Donald Trump. Joe Biden rearmed Iran. If he hadn't done that, Israel wouldn't be in this situation. If he hadn't done that, these atrocities wouldn't have occurred. The radical left in Israel has been trying to topple Netanyahu for two years. They've tried to create a civil war. They told their military, their pilots, Mossad, don't take orders from Netanyahu. He's illegitimate. We're going to send him to prison. He's a radical. Thomas Friedman, here in the pages of the New York Times, never friendly to the Jews. Certainly not the Israelis. Never. They take no responsibility. None. I've been reading about the Roman Empire. There's no 100% parallel, of course. The Roman Empire fell. For a lot of reasons, but in part, internal disputes and internal fighting. Isn't that always the way? That's how the Second Temple fell to the Romans. When the Jews broke up in the factions and were fighting, killing each other, while the Romans were sieging, were laying siege to the Second Temple. And the Romans were fighting with each other. Their enemies, <clears throat> particularly today, what we would call the German, the Germans, but also the barbarians, they were organizing against them. In fact, the Romans let many of the barbarians into their country under pressure. Not political pressure, but they were on the border in huge numbers. So they decided to let some in. A lot in. Big mistake. Sound familiar? They lost their border. And yet the Roman Empire lasted a thousand years when you include the Republic and the empire. America's around 250 years old. The border wide open. The Democrat Party at war with our own country. But I'm warning the Israelis tonight. You're being betrayed. You're being betrayed by an individual who doesn't care about his own people, let alone your people. That's why our border is open, and that's why it doesn't take hard steps to defend our soldiers in that region. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer... 
Woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durban Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durban Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Democrats, people on TV, hosts, commentators, panel members. Joe Biden is keeping us out of World War III. Or Joe Biden, what would we do without him? Or Joe Biden, Israel's best friend. All right, I want to deal with this straight up. Joe Biden blew up the Middle East. Joe Biden has blood on his hands. His blood on the hands, including the brave Iranian citizens who are rising up against that tyrannical Islamo-Nazi regime, were going to overthrow it until Joe Biden lifted trade waivers, lifted oil waivers, lifted cultural waivers, even lifted media waivers. In other words, breathe life back into that diabolical genocidal regime and he killed the protest movement he didn't give a damn how many citizens in Iran were murdered by that regime never said a damn thing not one neither did Blinken neither did Sullivan neither did their parrots in the media Blitzer Tapper Mitchell Scarborough none of them said a damn thing. Joe Biden doesn't talk about the citizens in Syria who are being slaughtered. Half a million Syrians, Muslims, among others. Not a word. Nothing. It's still going on. Not a word. When it comes to the Houthis in Yemen, another Islamo-Nazi terrorist operation funded by the Iranians, Joe Biden took the terrorism label off the Houthis, just like he refuses to fight in UN to put the terrorism label on Hamas. The Houthis have slaughtered unknown numbers of Yemenites. Unbelievable. Joe Biden says nothing. Nothing. Joe Biden says he supports the Ukrainians. But he doesn't want them to win. Tens of thousands of Ukrainians have died. Have died. Because of his feckless policy there. He never talks about the Ukrainian citizens, ever. When he meets with Xi, he never brings up the two and a half million Uyghurs that are in death camps, concentration camps, being raped, forced abortions, tortured, murdered. He says nothing 
to Xi about that. Zero. He doesn't care about the citizens. Not in China. Not in Tibet. On our southern border, God knows how many people are dying. We now know about rape tents. We know about little kids who are being sold into sex slavery. How many? We don't know. But by the thousands. How many women have been raped? We don't know. But thousands. How many Americans have died? Hundreds of thousands over the course of his presidency. No front page. No concern on the morning Joe. No concern by Tapper or Blitzer or anybody else. None. They say they're concerned about citizens. Concerned about citizens, they say. And I'll tell you what other citizens they're not caring about. The Jews in Israel. Of course they talk about October 7th. Of course it was horrendous. But they do not want Israel to win which means the citizens in Israel can never live in peace, ever. And if they do wind up carving up Israel, where one-third of the country, Judea and Samaria, the ancestral homeland of the Jews, if it is surrendered to the Palestinians as a reward for slaughtering Jews and kidnapping people, Israel will die. They don't care about the Israeli Jews. They don't care about the citizens there. I am sick and tired of this narrative that tells us that Joe Biden and Blinken and the American propaganda media and the Democrats are concerned about citizens and Bernie Sanders concerned about citizens and the Squad is concerned about citizens. Oh, woe is me. They don't give a damn about citizens. Not in our country. Certainly not in Israel. And not in the rest of the world. The same political party that has eviscerated local law enforcement in this country. The same political party that works with Soros and others to eviscerate our criminal justice system. The same political party in their city councils or in their state legislatures in Illinois, in New York, in California, other blue states, refuse to punish criminals. They don't care about citizens at all. Not in any respect. Now, Joe Biden, I'm going to say this because I mean it. Obama was an anti-Semite. Surrounded by people with the same ideology. Some of them Jewish, some of them not. I've talked about self-hating Jews and the difference between Jews who identify as ethnic Jews and Jews who identify as both ethnic and Jews of religious faith. I'm not going to go there again. I've explained it repeatedly. And I do so at great risk to myself, but I don't care. 
I truly don't. Because in the end, I have to answer to my God. Our God. Not the CNN or MSNBC, or not some of these Soros or Dan Abrams front groups. I have to answer to God Almighty and to myself. In the last 48 hours, Joe Biden and Blinken had put out the word that they want this so-called ceasefire to extend. And Iran, using Hamas, knows how to play Biden. They already got $6 billion from him. And a bunch of terrorists from Biden. They knew how to do it with Obama, too. And this administration, it cannot say anti-Semitism without saying Islamophobia out of the other side of its mouth. This administration will not enforce President Trump's executive order on anti-Semitism on college campuses, certainly not any significant way. This administration, I've yet to hear a full-throated press conference from the Attorney General, the Deputy Attorney General, the Associate Attorney General, the Attorney General for Civil Rights, the Attorney General for the Criminal Division, standing up front and telling the American people that they will do whatever they have to do to protect Jewish students. They won't do it because politically they rely more and more on Arabs and Muslims who've come into this country. This is a fact. This administration will not review its student visa policy. This administration will not go back and look at people who have entered into this country and overstayed their student visas. This administration won't look at student visas to see exactly who they've laid into this country for the last two and a half years. This administration does not want to vet people who are coming across our borders from every corner of the world. And you better believe terrorists are going to exploit that. They don't care. The goal is the fundamental, tra- fundamental transformation of America. And so I'm here to tell you this is the most anti-Semitic administration since the state of Israel was established. Because under Obama, there were some checks in place against the Blinkens, the Sullivans, outsiders like Thomas Friedman, Groups like CARE and the Muslim Brotherhood that had access to the White House and so forth. But under Biden, it's the Biden whisper, Blinken, who's in charge. The same Blinken who John McCain went to the Senate floor and for a half hour tried to block him from being the deputy secretary of state under Obama. Laid it out specifically the problems with this guy. The former senior foreign policy advisor to the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee, that Joe Biden both was chairman of and ranking member of at one point. A disaster. McCain said he was a a complete disaster. And he was right. So now, this regime in the United States of America, which will not protect us from foreign and domestic threats, They're telling Israel, we want longer ceasefires. As long as hostages are released, 
playing right into the hands of Iran and Hamas. So they pressure Israel. See, they have nobody to pressure in Afghanistan. The Taliban tells them to screw off. What of the Americans there? Well, what of them? Where are they? Doesn't matter. Nobody cares anymore. They don't even mention it. Not at any single press conference, any day of the week. Where are the Americans in Afghanistan? Don't worry, though. Joe cares about citizens. Tells Israel. Should military operations commence, and they don't want them to commence. And I warned about this. You better limit the displacement of Gazans. You better be more precise with your munitions. You better not block the steady flow of fuel now going into Gaza. You better make sure those people are fed and are medicated and have water. You're in charge, Israel. Israel, you're in charge now of taking care of the people in Gaza, not defeating them, not ridding them from your border. You're now in charge of a welfare state to take care of these people while Hamas is killing them and killing you. And not only that, Qatar, which funds Hamas, Qatar, which protects the numerous billionaires who've made money off the UN money, off of our money, off of your money, just steal it. Qatar is our leading negotiator for hostages. Then I have to hear fools in the media say, well, it's not Biden, it's Netanyahu. Netanyahu? Oh, yes, 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 because... He really doesn't want peace, you see. The left in Israel, they want peace, you know. They're, they're, they're really the peaceniks, you know. There's even a rumor out there, and I haven't been able to confirm it, but I'm trying. That the Israelis are trying to buy weaponry from other countries so they don't have to rely only on Biden and Blinken. Including certain missiles from South Korea. This is a rumor so far, or more than a rumor. I'm trying to confirm it. But that Sullivan stepped in the way and nixed the deal. See, they want the Israelis to rely 100%. And then, of course, Biden says, aid in the future may be contingent on following U.S. policy. Oh, and by the way, we want a two-state solution. And by the way, Israel, just go away, will you? Mark. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. You know, our numbers are coming in across the country on the ratings. And given the time slot I'm in, we're up against the toughest schedule from competition across the board, particularly sports. We have some major metropolitan areas that have multiple sports teams. Uh, whether it's football, whether it was baseball, whether it's hockey, and uh, 
We've got very solid numbers. I want to thank you folks for this. In what is truly the toughest time in the schedule, particularly on the East Coast, 6 to 9 p.m. Always has been and always will be. It's the nature of the beast. And as this business diversifies, or really splinters into other platforms, whether it's podcasting, whether it's online, whether it's apps, satellite, FM radio, AM radio, when you're holding numbers and you have strong numbers consistently throughout the year and throughout the years, this is a big deal. Again, particularly from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern time and whatever time that is where you are. And that's thanks to you folks again. Our podcast numbers are through the roof. Our radio numbers are just wonderful. Um, Satellite doesn't keep numbers, or at least they don't tell us, but we have a big satellite following, especially with our trucker brothers and sisters and police officers in their cruisers and so forth. So it's all very important that we get the message out, we get the word out, particularly coming up to this election. And this election is getting more and more hideous by the second. Because the Democrat Party is now using tactics that have never been used in American history. We thought that of the last midterm elections, and it was true. We thought that of the prior election, 2020, that was true. Our voting system is now a complete disaster. It's a complete mess, which is exactly how Democrats and the radical left and the media want it to be, because there they can succeed. Very few checks and balances anymore, and whatever checks and balances there are, particularly in Democrat strongholds, they're eliminating them. They claim there's no fraud, but they they seek to eliminate virtually every barrier to fraud that exists. And of course, they want to nationalize our elections and turn the whole country into California. This is a problem. That is an understatement. So the question is, what do we do about this? And it's a complicated question because when you have a Democrat party that literally hates the country and will do anything for power and so will their media, when you have this kind of autocratic force taking place in the country, it's a huge problem. But I don't have a magic wand. I'm not king of the country. But I have a microphone. I have a TV camera. So it's very important that I call out what I see. So you, the army, the army of Thomas Paines and Paul Revere's can get the message out to your friends and family and your coworkers. This is crucial. <clears throat> Absolutely crucial. The aggressive hideous propaganda campaign has begun. Actually, it never stopped, but it's getting more and more vile by the day. And the best measure of that, the best guidepost of that, would be Joe Scarborough. Joe Scarborough has no limitation on his ability to lie, to demagogue, and to propagandize. 
And that's what happens with low IQ individuals who are given a public platform by a woke corporation like Comcast. By a very weak cable channel like MSNBC. It's like the, uh, the Guinness Book of World Records, you know. Who's got the longest toenails? Who's got the longest na- nasal hair? Um, there's a person with three breasts. There's a guy that got to be nine feet, four inches tall. Well, that's what you're looking at when you're looking at MSNBC, a complete freak show. And CNN does its best to be MSNBC. And often succeeds, by the way. <clears throat> Just as Mediate, Dan Abrams' operation, which is a Democrat Party operation. He's a Democrat. His brother-in-law was part of a prosecution team with the Mueller team against Trump. They've never revealed that. And so they do what they can. They'll throw a few stories out here, trashing a Republican or something. But, but that's their mission. All of these elements are now coalescing around Nikki Haley. Now the Coke network has gotten behind Nikki Haley. Now I want you to know something about Coke. Many years ago, my wife was a deputy general counsel at Freedom Partners, the Freedom part of Coke. She left. Mark Short, the right-hand hatchet man for Mike Pence, was once a senior official over there at Freedom Partners. He left. The Coke network is not what it used to be. Charles Koch is a radical libertarian. He believes in open borders. He's anti-Israel in my view. He's weak on law enforcement and punishing criminals. He's a radical libertarian, not a constitutional conservative, a radical libertarian. And it's gotten worse, which is why some people have left. Other people hang on because they need the money, but other people have left. Pig Hegseth worked over there at one point. Pete left because they considered him too pro-military, U.S. military. Pete's no wild-eyed interventionist or globalist. But he was too much for them. So Pete left. He came to Fox full time. So this is a radical libertarian organization. As a matter of fact, Charles Koch formed the Quincy Institute with George Soros. And the Quincy Institute is a pacifist, isolationist operation. In my view, very anti-American military, and obviously very anti-Israel. So Charles Koch's network of millionaires and billionaires, with some objections, has now endorsed Nikki Haley. Now you might scratch your head and say, how's that possible? She preaches being tough on the border, but she's not. She preaches being tough on law enforcement. She has no record, excuse me, on law and order. She has no record of being so tough. She preaches taking on communist China, but her record's the opposite of that. 
She slobbered all over Xi and the Communist Party. She's not into cutting government, even though she says she will. She has no record of that. Her record is very milquetoast. And some of the best questioning of that came out when Tim Scott was in the race. But notice, none of the moderators really put it to Nikki Haley. And notice when she's challenged by another candidate on the stage, she really raises her voice, she speaks over the individual, she interrupts the individual and does, what about you, and you did this, and what about you, and you did this, and then the media say that is a great debate performance. It's a lousy debate performance. Then she's all over cable TV, including my my home at Fox. She's all over everywhere. And now she's spending millions and millions of dollars to try and be the number two candidate. So all the Trump haters will coalesce around her. That's her hope. That's the plan. And Charles Koch hates Donald Trump. Charles Koch hates a secure border. Charles Koch hates a strong United States military. And yet he backs Nikki Haley. And all the people who are part of this network, the donors and the employees alike, I guess they march right behind him. And of course, where does this story appear? The headline is in the New York Times. Maggie Haberman. What would Maggie Haberman do without Donald Trump? If there was no Donald Trump on the scene, what would she do? She's in love with Donald Trump. She thinks more about Donald Trump than any other human being on the face of the earth. She's on CNN, the constipated news network, where she looks constipated. She talks about Donald Trump. The New York Times, she writes about Donald Trump. She writes books about Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. She's obsessed. She's like a stalker. And Shane Goldmacher, whoever that is, and Jonathan Swan, another phony. Oh, didn't he used to work for... uh... And online news publications. They all want to work for the New York Times. The Holocaust denying, the Castro supporting, the Stalin supporting New York Times. The political network founded by the Koch brothers is endorsing Nikki Haley in the Republican presidential primary, it reads, giving her organization muscle and financial heft as she battles Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida for second place in Iowa. I would ask the people in Iowa, of which there are many who listen to this program, is this what you want? She's also being backed by this guy Richard Fink at BlackRock or Blackstone, the guy that was pushing hard, DEI and ESG on other companies. She's also being backed by rhino billionaires like this Ken Griffin in Florida who hopes to be governor of Florida one day over my dead body, but he might. And these other chameleons. I say with all due respect, just my opinion. The commitment by the network, Americans for Prosperity Action, bolsters Ms. Haley as the campaign enters the final seven weeks before the first nominating contest. Since the first Republican primary debate, Ms. Haley has steadily climbed into polls and is closely competing with Mr. DeSantis for second place slot in Iowa. Now, everybody knows 
that Ron DeSantis and I are friends, that our family are friends, we go way back. Way back. And that my stepson is assisting in his campaign. And yet I'm not sitting here and endorsing. Because I'm not allowed to. <clears throat> so people read what they want to into that. Don't read anything into that. Don't read a thing into that. There's no bigger voice on TV or behind this microphone that defends Donald Trump against what's happening to Donald Trump than me. Excuse me. Than I. By the way, as a footnote, I watch these shows. I love these shows. Chicago PD. They're on ION Network, ION. FBI, one of the great shows about the FBI. The, uh, the Chicago Fire. The Reagan Police Family, that may be my favorite. I love these shows. Love them. Love them. Love them. I'm hooked on them. I wasn't before my wife turned me on to them. I said, these are great. But I watch some of the actors, and it's not the actors, it's the people who write the scripts. And they end these sentences with at. Now some of you may do this too, but this is just a short little English lesson. You don't end sentences with the word at. I watch TV too. I watch shows that don't cause me to think about what I have to talk about every day, just to get a little break, a little psychological break. And the sentence that most annoys me is the one that ends with, we are at. We are at. We are at. Where's everybody at? Where's everybody, period. Not, where's everybody at? No, where is everybody? No, no, where's everybody at? You do this, Mr. Producer, I don't remember he won't say. You don't need to say, where's everybody at? It's, where is everybody? Yeah, where are you at? No, no, no. Where are you? Where is everybody? Where is he at? No, no. Where is he? That's enough. Just a little thought game. Back to the Koch brothers. Excuse me, one brother passed away. Actually, the the better of the two. Ms. Haley, who has described Mr. Trump's time as past. <clears throat> well, the voters will decide that, Nikki. Has gained support from donors and her candidacy has received approval from elite opinion makers. Many of whom describe her as the best alternative to Mr. Trump. But Ms. Haley's campaign does not have the organizational strength that Mr. DeSantis does, thanks to the work the super PAC affiliated with his campaign has been doing for much of the year. But the endorsement from the super PAC established by David and Charles Koch, David has passed away, could help change that. It will give her access to a direct mail operation. Field workers to knock on do- doors and people making phone calls to prospective voters in Iowa and beyond. The group also has money to spend on TV advertisements. So Nikki Haley wants to buy her way into the presidency. 
Americans for Prosperity Action has been among the country's largest spenders on anti-Trump material this year, buying online ads and sending mailers to voters. In a number of states, including Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, the group has spent more than $9 million in independent expenditures opposing Mr. Trump. And they're hammering and focusing mostly on Iowa right now. February 2023 memo, Emily Seidel, the president of Americans for Prosperity, wrote, We need to turn the page on the past, so the best thing for the country would be to have a president in 2025 who represents a new chapter. And that would be Nikki Haley, who's George W. Bush in a dress. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. As you know, Biden and Blinken keep pouring billions and billions and billions more into the coffers of these Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. They only had $4 billion on hand when Donald Trump left office. Now they have tens of billions. And they're using that money to produce weapons for Russia. They're selling their oil mostly to China. And they're making tens of billions of dollars for which they are funding terrorism against Israel, terrorism against the United States, terrorism against anybody that doesn't agree with them. And of course, funding the attacks on American forces overseas for which they're not paying any prices. Well, I've been saying over and over again, it's time for the Republicans, particularly in the House, to do something about it. And they have an excellent Speaker of the House, quite frankly. He's a good man. They've tried to destroy him, have the media, because he's a faithful Christian. He's a born-again Christian. And, you know, if you're born-again Christian or you're an Orthodox Jew or you're a faithful Catholic, you're a religious extremist. This coming from the Marxists and the other reprobates in the media. But the vote in the House just now was 307 to 119. One present, eight not voting. On House Bill 5961, titled No Funds for Iranian Terrorism Act. 90 Democrats joined the Republicans. Now, what's interesting is that means... Over 120 Democrats voted against it. But 90 is a big number, I suppose. And uh, 307, that's a significant majority. So now this bill goes immediately to the United States Senate, where Chuck Schumer is in control of the daily agenda, of whether votes are scheduled or not. Now, obviously, the Republicans in the Senate have some power, too. They can shut that damn place down until there's a vote on this thing. They certainly can, and they must. They've got to show some strength, for God's sakes. I mean, the House can't do all the lifting under our system. It's one part of the bicameral Congress. And if it got to the floor, I'm sure it would pass. But what this does is, among other things... It exposes the Hamas wing of the Democrat Party, and it exposes those who have moral integrity and those who don't. 
Chuck Schumer gave this speech the other day, and I'll talk about this because it's not what it's all said to be. Now it's time to act. He's the majority leader. He's Jewish. He's from New York. He made that clear in his speech. He said his fellow travelers, partly responsible for anti-Semitism, it's amazing he uses a Marxist phrase, isn't it, Mr. Producer, his fellow travelers? But nonetheless, we salute him for that little piece of the speech. Doesn't call out anybody by name. Nobody. Doesn't condemn the administration for not taking forceful action against anti-Semitism, where it can. College campuses and universities, oh, it's picking one off here and there. No presidential speech about it, nothing. We haven't even heard from the Attorney General. More on that later. So this now is in the Senate. It's on Schumer's desk, and what's he going to do about it? And what are the Republicans going to do to force action on this? Michael Johnson, the Speaker of the House, the Republican, he's already brought it up. They voted on it. It's now in the Senate. And this would also stop Biden from giving Iran sanctions relief, including that $10 billion and the $6 billion earlier. And any future monies. Now think about this. Why do we even need a vote in Congress to tell the administration to stop doing this? I mean, shouldn't they be stopping it on their own? They're not required to do this. So Congress has to tell the administration to cut it out. Arming our enemy. I don't know of another president in American history that armed our enemy. It is insanity. They're sabotaging the American people. They're sabotaging Israel while they're trying to put a jackboot on Israel's throat. That's right, I said it. The greatest enemy Israel faces today is the Biden administration. Why? Because it can defeat Hamas. It can defeat Hezbollah. It can defeat Iran if it has to. But it can't do those things if the United States piles one condition after another on top of it, is funding our enemies and their enemies to the tunes of tens of billions of dollars. You can't have an ally that hugs you, gives you the bear hug, as they say. We stand with Israel. We stand. There's nothing between. We, we strongly go get him. Go get him. And then days later, they're stabbing him in the back. Now, this legislation is in the Senate. Which senators are going to take the lead? Which senators are going to go to the floor and demand a vote? I'll tell you what's amazing to me. Schumer's not leading the fight. Bernie Sanders isn't leading the fight. Why? I've explained this in the last few days. About how certain Jews view themselves as purely ethnic Jews. With very little connection to Orthodox Jews. Or Jews that follow the Torah much more closely than they do. They have almost nothing in common with them. View them as kind of radical, kind of weird, kind of extremists. That's why Thomas Friedman is constantly trashing religious Jews in Israel. He's the columnist for the New York Times that gets Pulitzer Prizes for publishing fiction. He's a buffoon. 
Bernie Sanders is a Marxist. You can't be a Marxist and believe in the Torah. You can't be a Marxist and really believe in the Bible. Because Marx says burn all those things. But I saw a, a reporter the other day refer to Bernie Sanders and all the sanctions effectively he wants to place on Israel and reminded us, and he's a Jewish senator. My point is this. When I read what Mike Lee posts and says, when I read what Tom Cotton posts and says, one from Utah, one from Arkansas, how many Jews are in those states? Seven? I really don't know. I'm just making a point. When righteous Gentiles are taking the lead in the United States Senate, that tells you a lot about the Democrat Party and the Marxist left. But it also tells you about the fantastic conservatives that we have in Congress. They're not the only ones. Lee is an example. Cotton's an example. They support Israel more than Thomas Friedman. They support Israel more than Anthony Blinken. They support Israel certainly more than Bernie Sanders. It's amazing, isn't it? And they support Israel more than Chuck Schumer. You know, Chuck Schumer is a fraud and a phony and a fake. He votes against the Iran deal, and yet, as the Democrat leader under Obama, he's behind the scenes pushing everybody else to vote for it. What kind of a sleazeball does that? Chuck Schumer, that's what kind of sleazeball. And he waited a long time to give that speech. Long time. More on that later. So there it is. The legislation sits. It's in the Senate now. Now what are they going to do about it? This is something you and I have been calling for. This is something you and I have been pushing. What will the Republicans in Congress do? Okay. Mike Johnson, the Speaker, and the Republicans acted. They got 90 Democrats to go along. Now, what's Schumer going to do about it? What's Bernie Sanders going to do about it? Bernie Sanders hates Israel. Hates it. He's the Talib of the U.S. Senate. He is. There's not a communist regime on the face of the earth that at one time or another Bernie Sanders didn't support. So there the bill sits. Let's see what happens in the Senate. We have a killer couple of shows this week, and we really, really do. And I know many of you are going to be busy, but can I encourage you, entice you, persuade you to watch Saturday night show, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Life, Liberty, and Live In on Fox, where we have General Keene and Senator Tom Cotton and my, if I say so myself, my killer opening statement, and they are fantastic. And if you're going to be busy, you can set your DVR. It's very simple. You can record on your smart TV. It's very simple. And same with Sunday, where we have former ambassador from the United States to Israel under Donald Trump, David Freeman, former congressman and Republican candidate for governor of New York, Lee Zeldin. And again, my opening statement. I want you to know something. 
Nobody writes anything for me. Mr. Producer, open the phone. Open your microphone. Do you write anything for me? Not a thing. Any of my comments, any of my opening statements, anything. Now, Mr. Producer is the best in the business. He's my executive. He works very, very hard. He finds these clips and so forth. I send him clips, too. I decide what I'm going to keep or not. He really is the best. He's been with me since day one, and I'm a very lucky person. But on TV, you see these guys looking at monitors. I don't have, what do they call those monitors people read? I don't even remember the name of them. Teleprompters. You know, Biden can't even get it right on the teleprompter. I don't have teleprompters. I have monitors, but they have pictures, not, you know, who the guest is or something like that. So I take notes of myself, or if I read something, I'll hold up the document or from my book or a book or something, or I'll just speak to you. Everything you hear from me is from me. But I'll give you the example, because many people ask me about behind-the-scenes stuff. To the extent I can tell you, I will tell you this. When I prepare for my Saturday and Sunday Fox shows, I spend hours gathering research. I want to be accurate. I know so many of you take the time to watch. You have a right to accurate information. 95% of it doesn't make it on the air. Because I don't have the time. But if I'm going to do a show, let's say I tape a show at noon. I'm up at 6.30 working on it. I don't want a pat on the back. I just want you to know I put an effort into this. Radio, this program, Eastern Time, comes on at 6. I'm prepping for this show morning, noon, and night. Mr. Producer is catching my emails, catching my comments left and right all day long. This is a 24-7, to me, obligation that I have. I I might even say blessing that I have. And particularly times like this, when the world's on the brink, when the world's on the edge, it is not the time. To skate. And you know, I don't hide anything. The last 10 or 12 days have been miserable for me. They say it's not COVID. It's not so. Maybe it's this China stuff. I don't know what the hell it is. But it's been brutal. And it pains me to have missed last night's program. But it pains me. But I'm not going to sit here and hack and cough on the microphone all night long and turn you off anyway. It's very important to circle back, that you make it clear to your senators that you expect to vote on this bill and you want it to be sent to Biden, and it's time to push back, it's time to draw lines, and it's time to take back our foreign policy. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best. The best of Mark Levin. Remember this guy, Rashid Khalidi. I know all these names get confusing at some point. He's a professor at Columbia, professor of history, professor of Middle East history, Palestinian-American, with sympathetic ties towards Hamas. He's in the Edward Syed chair, similar ilk. And he was interviewed by this guy, Greenwald, Glenn Greenwald, who some people have a fascination with. I view him as a little... I can't say the word P-R-I-C-K here, can I? But that's how I view him. Very little P-R-I-C-K. And so uh, Greenwald 
favorite of the anti-Israel right, by the way. Uh, he's interviewing Professor Rashid Khalidi. You want to know why so many of our students have lost their minds? Here's one reason. And he says in this interview, and I want to give a hat tip to Breitbart. It's the first place where I saw it. Uh, he says in this interview that uh, Israel had not a legal or moral right to respond militarily to the Hamas terror attack. And so this is what your kids, if you're going to Columbia, are learning when they're in this guy's class. Here's just a little taste of it. Cut 20, go. If you step back one minute, I think it's very clear that if you occupy and if you imprison and, and, and blockade and besiege a population, sooner or later, that population is going to react violently and negatively. Uh, Israelis talk about this as if it's irrational. You know, let me educate you, moron. The Gaza Strip was open and free. It didn't start with a wall. It didn't start with a blockade. John Locke, I know John Locke is very foreign to people like Rashid Khalidi, not his type of philosopher, but he was the main philosopher behind America's founding. And people said, all these, these things you talk about, I told you this, I wrote about it. Where does it exist? He says, in America. America's a clean slate. Well, Gaza was a clean slate. The Israelis won it with the lives of their soldiers when Israel was attacked from the Egyptians. The Egyptians wanted nothing to do with it. It's a sliver of land, but it's a beautiful piece of land, actually, on the Mediterranean Sea. And it could have been a beautiful Hong Kong-type country, if you will. But the problem was, first the PLO, the moderates, took it over, and then there was an election that was 2005, an election in 2007, and the peaceful Palestinian citizens voted for Hamas, a known terrorist organization, part of the Muslim Brotherhood umbrella operation. And Hamas didn't hide who Hamas is, but they voted for it. So this is an occupied territory. It's not even in dispute. It was given to the Palestinians, a gift. Not even in dispute. So when he says things like, if you step back one minute, I think it's very clear that if you occupy or if you imprison and blockade and besiege a population, sooner or later that population is going to react. So this is what his students are hearing. This is what his students are hearing. So he's justifying terrorism. And he goes on, go ahead national at all. Uh, the, the, the nature of the violence is, of course, horrific that, that, that was carried out on that day. And this but, I'm tired of, too. The people who hate the Jews, hate the existence of Israel, they all say, that, you know, October 7th, that was a horrible thing. But! And then they explain it. But! It's Israel's fault. But! It's the Jews' fault. But! After the Holocaust. But! Go ahead do this to people and you pretend that out of sight is out of mind and you can live a normal life in suburban communities with other people in a cage within a couple of miles. What do you mean live a normal life in suburban communities? These are kibbutz. 
And by the way, America, for those who don't know, some of the most radically liberal individuals in Israel live in these kibbutz or kibbutzim. They're like little socialist enclaves. They're not Likud party supporters. They're not Netanyahu supporters. They're not living in wealthy suburbs. They're not living in five-star hotels like the Hamas leaders, multi-billionaires, which, of course, Khalidi will never address. No, no, no. And, of course, all this pent-up anger and everything else, 20,000 or more Gazan Palestinians would come into Israel to work and then go back. 20,000 or more. How many Jews could go into Gaza and work? None. In fact, most of them can't go into most of the countries that surround Israel. And so this is, you know, what about Iran funding Hamas? It doesn't matter. What about the Arab countries where the Muslims are killing Muslims? That's quite secondary. What about the caliphate? What about that whole Islamist ideology? It's like, nah, 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 nah. Look, they're all stuck here in Gaza. They've got nowhere to go, so they exploded in violence. Okay, so they're raping people and, and beheading little babies. Now, that was atrocious. We don't support that, of course. But it's understandable. Go ahead. You are storing up problems that sooner or later are going to erupt. So did Israel have a right to occupy in the first instance? Did Israel have a right to kick those people out in 1948 in the second instance? Right, let's I mean, stop. Again, when it comes to Gaza Strip, none of that's relevant. But Israel kicked those people out in 1948. So for this professor, no doubt tenured, where he spews his poison and his anti-Semitism, the world began in 1948. Is that what we say to black Americans? The world began in 1948? Is that what we say to Native Americans? The world began in 1948? Is that what we say? The world didn't begin in 1948. To kick out the people who were there, they say. Where are all the Jews that used to live in Iraq? They were kicked out. Where all the Jews that used to live in Iran, most of them fled for their lives. Where all the Jews that used to live in Lebanon before Hezbollah, almost all gone. Where all the Jews that were in the Middle East, I mean, after all, Judaism is an older faith than Muslim, than, uh, excuse me, uh, Islam, by far. What happened to all the Jews? I mean, you really want to play this game? Well, let's go way back. Half the Middle East belongs to the Jews. If you follow this moron's logic, and of course they apply the same logic to the United States, just as a footnote here, but an important one. Why do you think the border's wide open? And I discussed this over the weekend. Why do you think? To turn Texas blue. Got it. But why else do you think? Those of you who read American Marxism and read that chapter, what does it say? Because the white Europeans came here and conquered these lands. It doesn't belong to so-called American citizens. It belongs to the illegal aliens who are coming here. It's their land, so they can't possibly be the illegal aliens. It's the white Europeans who are the illegal aliens. It's the white dominant culture that's illegal. 
not the people who are coming over the border. It's their border. It's their country. That's what they're also teaching in colleges and universities. So that projects right into the Middle East, except the difference is the Jews were there before there were anything called Palestinians. But they're not going to discuss that. So you now the Jews, as I said before, that's like telling the telling Navajo Nation that you're settlers in your own country. You're settlers on your own land. Do we say that to Native Americans? Hey, you know what? These are the indigenous peoples. Actually, there were peoples before that, but I don't want to get into that. The indigenous peoples? Do we call them settlers? Do we call Native Americans? You're settlers. Wait a minute. We're not settlers. This was our land. Yeah, you're settlers. And we're talking about a couple of hundred years ago, maybe tops 500 years ago. In the Middle East, we're talking 4,000 years ago. And there's proof. It's called the Bible. And there's proof. It's called archaeology. Lots and lots of proof. And the funny thing is the Palestinians aren't in the Bible. And there's not a lot of archaeology backing up that they were there either. None. Zero. This is Rashid Khalidi. Now why does it matter? He's basically a pimple on an elephant's ass. Glenn, Glenn Greenwald now as well. He doesn't have much of a form anymore. What's this all about? Well, this is where Obama's ideology comes from. This is where Obama's ideology comes from. I told you I'd do my research. Back in May 20, 2011, 12 and a half years ago, National View Online, Stanley Kurtz, our buddy, he wrote a piece called Israel and Obama's Radical Past, including Rashid Khalidi. I'll cut to the chase. The Los Angeles Times has long refused to release a videotape in its possession of a farewell dinner attended by Obama for a scholar and Palestinian activist, Rashid Khalidi. Obama spoke warmly of his friendship for Khalidi at that event. Unfortunately, the continuing mystery of that videotape has obscured the rather remarkable article that the L.A. Times did publish about the dinner and about Obama's broader views on the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, And in light of the controversy over Obama's remarks on Israel and his address on the Middle East, it's worth revisiting that 2008 article from the L.A. Times. The extraordinary thing about allies of Palestine see friend in Obama, quote-unquote, is that in it, Obama's supporters say that in claiming to be pro-Israel, he's hiding his true views from the public. This is exactly what Blinken's doing That whole team, that whole Obama team, and their media friends are doing it too. Having observed his personal associations, his open political alliances, his public statements, his private remarks, Obama's Palestinian allies steadfastly maintain that Obama's private views are far more pro-Palestinian than he lets on. Having pieced together Obama's history, he says, Stanley Kurtz, I make much the same argument Obama's broader political stance in his book Radical in Chief says Obama's true views are far to the left of what he lets on in public. And by the way, this administration's conduct right now, vis-a-vis Israel versus the terrorists, is way, way radical left. Much further on that they're letting you know about. With Mr. Moderate, Mr. Lunchbucket, Biden. Yet it's striking, he writes, to see Palestinian activists making essentially the same point. Not in criticism of Obama, but in praise. 
Notice also that in this article, Rashid Khalidi himself claims that Obama's family's ties to Kenya and Indonesia have inclined him to be more sympathetic to the Palestinians than other American politicians are. That sort of claim often gets ridiculed when conservatives make it. The point of all this is not that as President Obama is going to make policy exactly as Rashid Khalidi might. Rather, the point is that Obama's stance is going to tilt more heavily toward the Palestinians than any other likely American president, Republican or Democrat, just as Obama's Palestinian allies argued in the L.A. Times piece. And we will, of course, put this up on the mothership, MarkLevinShow.com, this entire article in which Kurtz links to the article that he's talking about. And Obama appointed this guy, Mali, to work on the Iran deal. Biden comes in. Secretary of State Blinken appoints his buddy, Mali, to negotiate with the Iranians. Mali's a Marxist. His father was a Marxist. Think about this. He's strongly pro-Iranian. The Iranian regime. He brings in some spies with him. Mali's now under investigation. His classified ticket's been pulled. The Biden administration has gone 100% silent. Nobody knows what's going on. But we can see the after effect. And what's going on in the Middle East now. Middle East was silent. It was peaceful as a result of Trump. Not so much silent, but peaceful. And now it's exploded. I guess they'll blame that on uh, climate change. 